0: Today I am speaking with Bill Maher and Larry Charles. Bill, you all know, I trust. You know him principally from his HBO show, Real Time, which I've been on a few times over the years. Bill is certainly one of our most politically engaged comics. He still does a ton of stand-up, and he's also an executive producer on Vice Media on HBO, and just a super productive guy. The occasion of this podcast was the 10th anniversary of his documentary, Religious, which was directed by my other guest, Larry Charles. Now, Larry has been hugely influential in comedy. He wrote for The Seinfeld Show for the first five seasons. He also directed Sacha Baron Cohen's films, Borat and Bruno. He's also worked on Curb Your Enthusiasm and Entourage. He's just one of the 800 pound gorillas of comedy. Uh, and also a very nice guy. I'd never met him before, but it was a real pleasure to sit down with him. And uh, because we were celebrating the 10th anniversary of Religious, the first half of our conversation or so is focused on the film. So I think you'll enjoy that part more if you've actually seen the film. It's not that you'll have no idea what's going on if you haven't, but I recommend that you watch it. It's very funny. And uh, again, even if you've seen it before, you just can't believe where people are at on the topic of religion. It's really, it's quite a view of the human mind. But otherwise, we touch several other topics. We're mostly focused on the state of comedy and public conversation in general and politics. It was fun to have an excuse to get these guys on the podcast. And now I bring you Bill Maher and Larry Charles. So I'm here with Bill Maher and Larry Charles, which is quite an honor. We've never met, Larry. So I, I'm I'm going to start with you, uh, Bill. You actually need no introduction on my show. <laughs> you're, 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 uh, I will introduce you, but yeah, it will be superfluous.
1: People out there going, who? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, um, Larry, so I, I I've been a I think a bigger fan of yours than I realized because I I, I just I read your bio in preparation for this conversation and realized that you've like touched half of comedy. Uh, <laughs> So yes, in, a um, very, in
2: a very inappropriate way. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So g- give us your, your potted bio, maybe from Seinfeld on, because it's, it's I think amazing. from
2: Seinfeld, I thought that I was going to be a showrunner and make a lot of money and do that. And I did that for a few years, and it was a lot of fun, but I wasn't feeling any fulfillment at a certain point. And um, um, Larry David at one point came to me. I kind of had thought about directing for a long time. I was giving up on that dream as I sort of reached about 40 and Larry David literally came to me as he was doing Curb Your Enthusiasm. He was starting that show and said, hey, why don't you direct one of these? And I became a director. Uh, so I'm a very lucky person. And from there, I met Bob Dylan, uh, which is a long story. But yeah. we wound up collaborating on a script that we made a movie of. But while we were writing the script, I was thinking I'd go home every day and go, you know, I should be directing this movie. And how am I going to ask Bob Dylan to direct this movie, you know? And one day, I just kind of blurted it out. And he went, Okay. And then I directed that movie and then I moved in that direction. I never made as much money again, but I wound up, uh, doing a lot of cool things like religious as a result. Yeah. yeah. Wait, so, you didn't make money on Borat? You, no, nobody made money on Borat, believe it or not. I mean, I made some money on Borat really? eventually, wow. but it was, I was paid pretty much the minimum to do that movie. That movie wasn't even gonna get made. I mean, they didn't know what they well, had. And it was done a on a very money. low we,
0: budget. We need you know. to fire your attorney. Who we won't <laughs> name him. But, <laughs> somebody met. They're a long gone. Yeah. So, uh, so curb your enthusiasm as well. You've, yes. You've, yeah. Yes. If you've
2: also dealt with a lot of great religious themes on Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. Yeah.
0: So we're we're here. The happy occasion is it's the tenth anniversary of Religulous. Was it nine eleven that put religion as a problem on your radar in a way that it hadn't been, or had you been vocally worried about it prior to then?
1: Well, I, I think that's somewhat covered. I watched the Religious. I hadn't seen it really since we made it. Uh, so it was a, I tend not to look back at my work because all you could do is obsess on I should have said this, I should have <laughs> right. done that, I shouldn't have said this. or. But I think we did cover it in there that I was raised Catholic and never liked <laughs> that very much. My father stopped going to mass when I was a teenager, which was a hallelujah moment for me. And then, for just the longest time, I didn't have Catholicism for sure, and I wasn't religious. But I didn't really th- think about it that much, and I just had God in my life as like when I got in trouble. Oh, please, God, get me out of this one. But even I was one your, of those guys. In, but into your forties, I think you say in the, in the yeah. Thing, yeah, and then at some point that became ridiculous and i realized i was making a fool of myself and just said no full on and uh i don't know if 9-11 i don't remember that having a giant impact on me religious wise
0: but but in terms of your perception of it being a social problem that you had to comment on now you had to be a, a vocal atheist talking about
1: islam and right um, that certainly did move that to the forefront of course. It also caused me to lose the show I, w- I had as a forum. But we, were, we weren't we were off the air right away. We were on for another nine months. And those are my favorite nine months of Politically Incorrect because we were able to do a more serious kind of show. And we did talk. Uh, the The country was in a more serious mood. And we were able to not do the show with Carrot Top and Pauly Shore and do one <laughs> with uh, State Department officials and people like yourself
0: I didn't realize that it took nine months to yes, for that.
1: Yes, the tragic events of nine uh, seventeen, as, as we called it, <laughs> when uh, I said the things that got me fired. That, that we didn't go off the air till June, end of June two thousand two.
0: What? Well, how did it gain traction after nine months? Was, was there a continuous drumbeat to no, cancel well, you, or,
1: or just? <clears throat> I was never mad at ABC for, for canning us because it's a broadcast network, and the advertisers did pull out. I was just mad at them because they lied and said, we lost our viewership and our ratings and our ratings never went down. Mm. The audience was not well, mad at me. We should remind only... people of what happened here. So you,
0: you said the f- most frequent slur was that they
1: were cowards, the 9-11 hijackers. Well, Dinesh D'Souza <laughs> was the one who said it. Yeah. And then I concurred. Of course, he was at a cab when the controversy <laughs> came. He did not want to be involved, but he was the one who said these are, he, he went on a whole rant about it. And I said, yeah, you're right. You know, strictly speaking. There is not a moral dimension to this. They, they stayed with the suicide mission. That, that's not cowardly. Uh, and then, you know, we were more cowardly, we meaning the society, not the military. That's what my enemies chose to interpret it as, but everyone knew I didn't mean that. We were cowardly th- lobbing cruise missiles from thousands of miles away. And uh, that was the end of that. But yeah, we were on for another nine months, and those were good months. Those were good times. <laughs> Did they
2: hassle you during that time, ABC? I mean, did you know that eventually it was going to come to an end? I mean, oh, is, yes. I'm surprised also to hear that it went on nine months. I don't think that's people's perception. No, right. I thought it was just of the course. guillotine
1: came down. Right? And- um, no, uh, we had a contract, and it was really to the end of the year, but then we all agreed I, w- I wanted to get on to the next show. I knew there was no future there. And uh, I think one uh, newspaper column referred to it as dead show walking, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which yeah. is what it was. But it was a good dead show walking. So it liberated you in a way. In a way, yes, it did.
0: Yeah. So now, had you guys been professionally connected before Religious, or how did you guys? No, we did not
2: know each other personally. We had a lot of overlap in terms of friends and colleagues, but we had never hung out or met. And the great thing was, once we did, it was like, it was very natural. Yeah. You know, as if we had known each other all those years.
1: And I interviewed a number of directors, but I wanted to make a comedy. And you know, what, as I watched this movie last night, I realized, boy, this could have gone terrible with a director who didn't fit it. But I mean, this is, it was the movie I wanted to make, but it really is uh, like any movie. It's a director's movie. It's, I mean, Larry made this movie with the cuts and the pacing and there's a lot, a we lot worked that on it together, but, but I, yeah. I give him so much credit because there's so much funny stuff that is the result of, these quick intercuts and juxtapositions and just the, the structure and uh it's not a job most jobs in showbiz I think yeah I could do that I couldn't do that I can't yeah. be a director
2: well thank you but I think again uh, not to throw it back at you but that it was an amazing <laughs> collaboration and a great synthesis of our sensibilities and one of the greatest uh, uh projects I ever worked on also so
1: yeah it, w- it was a it, it was, was a j-
2: joy from beginning to end we did it with abandon. we had so much fun
0: we doing were, it yeah, yeah. you you look like you're having fun
1: counting that i'm a terrible traveler i don't (laughs) like traveling especially (laughs) overseas (laughs) but having said all that i'm so glad we did it and uh thanks for uh celebrating it with us yeah
0: so i just watched it again as well and i hadn't seen it since i mean it's been close to 10 years since i'd seen it and we were talking about this just before the we turned the mics on that the comedy holds up and that isn't often true i mean i I would say probably half the time I go back to some cherished comedy, I'm just, you know, like to, to watch with, you know, with, with my wife who may not have seen it or with my, with yeah. one of my daughters, it's just, I mean, it's right. just this stark encounter with the idiot you used to be or, or, you know, some time that, yeah. that uh, some age of the earth that has, has elapsed. Every, and everything you...
1: just moves faster. Yeah. Try yeah. to watch a Hitchcock movie.
0: Uh, we just did last night, Which I mean, we, we, we we walked out of North by Northwest. Right, walked out? Right. Yeah. and that's the yeah. best one. Yeah, yeah, you only yeah, got yeah. to North. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> North. You couldn't get through North. I, I mean, by... we,
0: you know, it wasn't terrible, but right. it was not. It was just. Well, yeah. I mean, th- I mean, we we've learned a lot about making movies in yes. in the intervening and 60 also, years, and also people
1: just had a their brains. Now, this is your field. You're a neuroscientist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People's brains must have just been different, yeah, because they were perfectly okay with things moving so much glacial slow glacial yeah. yeah i watched the man who what's the hitchcock movie he made like the man three. who knew too much the yeah. man who knew yeah. too yeah. much yeah. I, yes and it is glacial that is the word for it it's like really nothing goes on yeah with the, it's so subtle <laughs> it, I, I it's like wow people yeah it, all i kept thinking as i'm Where's watching the suspense is, you know people were yes <laughs> people were different right. yeah. very yeah. different yeah.
0: also there, there was fake kissing that i never noticed before I mean, they, they, the fake wow. kissing isn't even an attempt to simulate real kissing they just touch their faces together neither
1: is violence right yeah. Yeah. we have too much violence now and it's too graphic but then it was ridiculous, ridiculous yeah. <laughs> yeah people it's, are being killed without any, no, any yeah. Uh, struggle <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. and no blood almost especially and, indians of course in yeah and the westerns but that's another subject <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: i think if i may i think the reason that religious uh is still fresh there's a number of really good reasons for that. first of all, we're drawing on a thousands of year old tradition with religion so in a way it's kind of classic classic subject uh that had never been touched humorously, satirically in a nonfiction setting. I mean, Life of Brian is a brilliant movie also, yes. but it's a fictional movie. And there have been other fictional comedies about religion. There had never been a nonfiction comedy, never been a documentary that tried to even be funny. How many documentaries are funny? So we, we had a very ambitious agenda, as it turned out, to, to tackle religion, be funny about it, and make a funny documentary. And so the subject matter was always ripe and never tapped into. And as we know, not enough has changed since the movie's been made so that those jokes still resonate today to a large degree. And also the
1: subject matter. We were ahead of the subject matter. I cited the stat on my show last Friday that when we made the movie, 16% of people said in the Pew poll that they were of no religion. And now that is in some polls as high as 26%. Yeah. So in a way, the movie's 10 years old and the public is still catching up to right, it. that's true. To the subject. Right.
0: So, Bill referenced the technique you use of intercutting archival images, and I mean, it's pretty interesting because it, some of the shots that are landed against the interview subject mm-hmm. are landed off camera, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, so it gets, you're, you're amplifying the fun that's being had at the person's expense. I mean, some of the blows land on camera because you and your interviews are pretty yes, um, for
2: the most part i would say that's true I yeah think. yeah
0: but, so, but like sometimes the person will be lying and you'll be subtitling their yeah, lies with yes, like he yes, didn't he, yes. you know he, he's he's not a doctor when oh, there's right. lots
1: of cutaways for one second from a to an old movie that's just <laughs> yeah, right. completely yeah. forgotten and yeah. i was laughing out loud
2: and, and in the case of people that are getting abused after the fact uh, we were very careful with our targets, you know, and the targets are hypocrites and liars. Yeah, And yeah. wouldn't you love to do that in all of life to be able to yeah. subtitle when people are bullshitting you? So I, I felt like that was all justified. It was funny, and it was pointing out our our basic itinerary on this, on this journey, which was religion is really built on a lot of hypocrisy and lies, and mm-hmm. we were able to illuminate that constantly through the movie.
0: Yeah, so I don't think the viewer ever feels like you unless they happen to be religious i would imagine but i don't think the viewer ever feels that you take an unfair shot at the targets but i can imagine the targets did now how are, how are you just not trailing a thousand lawsuits with uh, shooting a film i like guess i mean probably even worse the sasha baron cohen stuff right well, it's
2: like well in both cases we had people you, you have people sign releases beforehand and um so they and they don't people don't read the fine print frankly and it says we could do anything we want with what we're about to shoot. And that's what we do. We do anything we want with it. So we try to stay ethical. and We try to stay above board. And, um, but the fact is that usually it's it's the purpose of the interview, both with Bill and even with Sasha, was to illuminate some sort of underlying truth that's being concealed. And it takes sometimes interrogation techniques, comic interrogation techniques, as Bill uses so expertly, like with the Senator, you yeah. know, you see people so who are sorry. saying things they know are not true, that but grim. they're stuck because they're going to get voted out of office and he doesn't let them off the hook. And that's one of the great things about him as a, as a questioner, as an interviewer. So I felt like, yeah, we, this has to be hard hitting, but it'll pay off
1: because it'll be really super funny. Also. I also was struck as I watched it, that it is so not mean spirited, right? Because no. we're having a good time and we're laughing. And even when I'm it's a number of times when I'm basically saying to somebody, <laughs> in a way, you're a fool or an idiot. I, mean, I, I say to that Jesus hey, guy, I yeah, think he's yeah. dead now. Really? He, yes, and we yeah. looked it up. He, he, pressed, he wasn't
2: resurrected. He was not.
1: He, <laughs> he was the second coming of Christ, and yet he died again. Okay, so, <laughs> this time of like liver failure or something. Yeah, right. But you know he's he's Jesus Miranda, and I say maybe you're the second coming of Carmen Miranda, <laughs> right? You, know? right. And you should be you should have fruit on your head yeah. instead of fruit in your head, <laughs> right, which is a right, terrible right. insult. <laughs> but he's laughing. Yeah, he I'm was a good laughing. sport. Yeah, he was. Um, the guy who sued us, the member, if you don't know me by now, singer. Right. Yes. You know, right. Uh, uh, the right. The uh, preacher. who's preacher. Who yeah. Was in Howl with the, Melbourne fine, and the, with the finery. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's I'm insulting him, but right. it's with a a laugh and he's laughing. And, you know, it just makes you think they all know it's a crock. I yeah, mean, it's, yeah. it's, they're, they're selling the invisible product. And I often,
2: you know, I often tell people, because people, you know, I, I often say that I thought the people, I believe that the Vatican needs to be dissolved. You need to sell off the assets. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no way back from what's going on in the Catholic Church right now. But the most intelligent people we might have talked to yeah. in the entire journey were the, were the priests at the Vatican. The oh, Vatican yeah, priests that. were yeah. all PhDs all know what's going on, really smart guys, the guys who define for us where religion begins and where science begins and why they can't overlap. They were very, very rational men who have to sell
1: this uh, this thing to the masses. And the one guy who we see outside the Vatican, yes. but he's the one who took us in for that amazing tour. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: You, you had kicked out of the Vatican. They, they, yes, well, we shoot. weren't yeah.
1: supposed to be in there in the first place. <laughs> that guy who we see who's saying to me, that when I say, doesn't this make you think? Oh, of course, everything makes me think this is a crock. I mean, he was so yeah. upfront about it. He like he should have been hosting this movie. Yeah. Um, but he was he, great. He was the Vatican Latinist. Latinist.
2: Yeah, he 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 translated the uh, the letters uh, either from Latin to English or English to Latin, maybe both. But that was his job. But he lived down the hall right. from he the was, Pope. And we right. were on that hall. We were in that hallway.
1: No, I I don't. I remember him telling us that he met the Pope the first week he was Pope in 1979 and hadn't seen him or talked to him since. Right. That, that right. was how much the Pope cared. We about also him drank Latin. with him up there. If you remember. Uh-huh. We yes, all, we did. We all took a couple of shots yeah. from his yeah. bottle. Yeah. yeah he, he looked, he looked like, like he, like he was practiced like a, in the art. <laughs> yes. Of, but drinking. he was quick
2: to say Christmas is ridiculous. Right. And if Jesus right. was here, he wouldn't live at the Vatican. He'd live yeah. out in the hills with the poor people. He right. was like, He was an iconoclast standing right there in front of the Vatican. And even said,
1: people need their stories. Yeah. I mean, that's the ultimate mask drop to say people need their stories. (laughs) That's the magician going, see, the dub is right right here. He was like the pen and
2: teller (laughs) of of the Vatican (laughs) priests. Well,
0: there was one guy you legitimately hated, though, the the rabbi who, uh, at one point, you you make the Holocaust (laughs) joke. You say, rabbi? Never again. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I don't know if it was you yeah, off camera. Yes. Larry off camera says something like, well, let's just get,
1: and you said, no, I'm out. Right? Yeah. Like, I, 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 I can't well, he stand would, another yeah. second. In not let presence. him get a word in edgewise. Also, he had just met with Ahmadinejad. He did not think the state of Israel should exist. Right. That's right. And that the Holocaust was justified because yeah. the Jews had not been holy enough. So there was a lot to not like about him. Yeah,
2: And he was unpleasant. <laughs> he I, didn't present it in a charming way. No. <laughs> His point of view. he well, we had right. this he had this
0: insane verbal tick where he would say, Don't interrupt me. Yeah. Even in those moments where you had interjected your question in an appropriate silence where you had not interrupted he, him. No. He just like whenever you started, he would say don't interrupt yeah. me. Yeah. You interrupted his thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So that's what. Yeah. Bill, you cover your background a little bit. I mean you, you actually have the surprising the same surprising fact in your bio that Hitch did that you discovered your mother was Jewish late in life. Well how old were you? Thirteen. I was like, Hitch, Hitch was older than that. He was like, a, he was an adult when he learned this. I mean, so you were, you're technically Jewish, according to the Jews. Did they ever uh, yeah, try well, to co Yeah, well, of course, you?
1: many times. And that always bothered me that other people are going to tell me what <laughs> <Right>. my, <laughs> my religion is. Um, and my mother was not a practicing Jew either. So it was you know, culturally Jewish, and that's fine. And I'm a big supporter of the state of Israel, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I never set foot in a temple to this day. Hmm. Uh, all my memories of religion are from uh, Catholicism. And as my mother states in the beginning of the movie, and that is always the highlight of the movie, my mother for me, because she's just so funny. <laughs> and uh, she, when I asked her, first of all, big shock for me and my sister, we found out why. This is the first time we ever asked her, why did dad quit going to church because of birth control? We thought, geez, they weren't doing it <laughs> anyway. We, we didn't think that was an issue. But when she basically said, Yeah, we didn't think we needed to tell you, and we thought some structure was better than none. I thought that was very telling of the thought process of that era, Mm, that no structure was just not to be considered. She was certainly not a Catholic, although she pretended to take Catholic lessons. This was 1951, so she could marry my father. But, um, yeah, just you needed some, some religion in your life. Yeah, that but, was what i took away from that even it was, though it was one funny. i don't believe in and that's not good but it's better than nothing and that's so different than what we were saying which is certainly not better than nothing nothing better
0: that's still a very common notion but it, it, was, it was funny just to realize that you hadn't figured out that she wasn't going to church with you for a reason it was like a kind of a family secret that wasn't, it was, it was in the open, but you hadn't even noticed that it was
1: a phenomenon. So telling of why kids put up with anything in childhood, because whatever you're so young, you have nothing to compare it to. So whatever is the norm, you just think for you, that's normal. Yeah. And that's why kids don't report abuse and a thousand other things, because it's just always gone on. I just never thought about it. Mom never went to church. She stayed home. My sister and my father and I went and that was it. And then it just came up in conversation one Christmas when I was 13, and because I'm Jewish. Oh, <laughs> well, that does explain a lot.
0: So, Larry, what about your background? Do you have a religious indoctrination you're rebelling I do, against? Them? And I
2: think what Bill said first of all is really important because I think you see a lot of adults today who are very bright, very intelligent, very rational people, but they cling to this crazy idea because they have been indoctrinated as children. And even though it doesn't make sense to their adult self, that childhood part of their brain clings to this idea of God and somehow there being some order, and it's very, very hard to let go of. My parents were secular Jews. I grew up in uh, Brighton Beach and was sent to the local Hebrew school, which happened to be a very orthodox Hebrew school. So I was immersed with these very orthodox rabbis who were like mean, like nuns, you know, hitting you and shutting down any discussions and punishing you and sending you into the big dark temple to sit by yourself and think about what you had done. And, um, so I kind of was really into the ritual and the darkness and the weirdness of it. But I also uh, knew right off the bat, very early on during the bar mitzvah, uh, lessons that it was kind of nonsense and it was kind of ridiculous. And, you know, I, I was into it on one level and I was also kind of stepping out of it. And by the time the bar mitzvah comes along, and my father would constantly remind me. My father had a lot of uh, very reductionist philosophies of life, like do unto others and then split. That was one of his favorites. Um, and he said, you know, do the bar mitzvah and get the checks. Like that was his thing about the bar mitzvah. Not any, there was no spiritual dimension to it. Right. So uh, like a lot of kids, you know, we did the bar mitzvah, we got the checks, and I never went back into the temple after that. And most of my friends never went back either. Now I notice in adulthood that a lot of people are sort of starting to Drift back because I think we were talking about a little bit about getting older and the fear starts to set in. And I see people starting to drift back in in a kind of way that they feel comfortable with, but still drifting back to the things that they rejected in religion.
1: Sometimes these are the same yeah. people who start watching Fox News when yeah. they get into their 60s. Yeah. I've known...
0: I haven't noticed that phenomenon really. I... Oh, I have. Yeah? Well, yeah. I
1: could name names, some you would recognize because they're famous people who I knew. 15, 20 years ago, as Hollywood liberals, hadn't seen them in a long time, talked to them. I remember one person, actor, you'd know who it was and was telling me a couple of years ago, not only did Obama ruin America, he did it on purpose. I'm like, what? I thought you were blank blank. And now you're, and all I could think is, yeah, he started watching Fox News. That happens, that's a thing for yeah. people of a certain age.
2: Yeah, people looking for comfort in some way. Yeah, and right. those are the things that give people comfort, because they give you answers, even though you may know on some level they're false answers, right. it still answers, and it helps you sort of move on, I guess.
0: It's interesting to think about how the landscape has changed in the intervening years. I mean, I think it was changing incrementally, as you point out in that poll result, that it seemed like secularism was winning some steady gains and that, you know, atheism was far more public. And I was getting the sense that people were more visibly embarrassed by, I mean, just that you weren't meeting the same kind of Bible thumper. And then we were making clear gains politically on things like gay marriage. It was unthinkable. We had a brief moment of it in California, and then it got rolled back. And then all of a sudden it was the law of the land in like 15 minutes. And you got the sense that even fundamentalist Christians weren't poised to fight that particular culture war issue again, and then Trump happened, and it's like religion is just kind of a variable we don't even have to talk about. And yet, quietly behind the scenes, religious fundamentalists are getting a lot of what they want out of Trump, and it's it's like it's yeah. like it's off it's like you know it's it's off my radar. I'm not spending time talking about Christian theocracy. I'm occasionally I'll, I'll hit the topic of Islam when you know something blows up but it's kind of all Trump all the time. And yet, out of the corner of my eye, I'm seeing the
1: stealth theocrats in the U.S. just quietly kind of build their kingdom. In, in a larger sense, we are becoming, my analogy would be Saddam under Iraq, where a minority was ruling over a majority. The majority of this country is liberal, but because it's rigged, it actually is on their part. With the Electoral College, with gerrymandering, with voter suppression. I mean, look at the Supreme Court as we see this play out in these weeks. The Supreme Court should be seven liberals because two people were appointed under George Bush who did not win the popular vote. Exactly. People forget that. And now Trump has gotten two. So if the right person, if we had direct election, which we should, and the will of the people had put Al Gore and Hillary Clinton into office, the Supreme Court wouldn't even be in question. So in that sense, yes, you're right. The, the right wing and the evangelicals have enormous power, but they are a minority mm. who yeah. are now, this is very dangerous for America, as it was a seething pot under Saddam in Iraq. You had two-thirds of the country who were Shiites ruled over by a third Sunnis. And we're like a two-thirds liberal country that's now going to be ruled what we are. We own nothing power-wise by this minority right-wing base. And they are, you're right, getting everything they want.
2: I think if I may, I think there's like two forces at work also. To me, it seemed like from the day that Obama was inaugurated, uh, the hate uh, began to build. And the backlash was just, it was going to erupt in some way. And I think Trump is that eruption to some degree. I think also the evangelicals and the Christian right made a conscious decision somewhere along the line that they're tired of losing and they want to win and they will win at any cost. And they're willing to abandon all of their morality, their false morality to win. And that's what they've done. And they've won. So I I agree with Bill. I think this minority has kind of amassed itself and organized itself in such a way to really, as you as you called it before, a kind of a slow coup.
1: Yeah. They keep their eye on the ball. They know how to organize on the local level, which they have done. They had a plan from 30 years ago to put this guy in the Supreme Court, the Heritage Foundation, you know, they groom these people. They put them up through the system. They clerk for other judges. They know exactly what they're doing from the beginning. Well, what are the liberals doing? You know, we're having a big gathering. Okay, we <laughs> gathered. You know, we got our pussy hats on. We we don't do that that nuts and bolts stuff. Yeah. We got to learn how to do that better if there's time because right. we, it may be over now. I mean, we yeah. may never get it back. Power begets power yes. as we see with Kavanaugh probably going on the court. You know, that'll how long is that going to last for? A long time. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, it's a real concern that the left has pendulum swung into identity politics and a, its own yeah. kind of almost theocratic censoriousness around speech and white privilege and male privilege. And it's not to say those things don't exist. And they're, right. they're obviously appropriate targets of outrage with respect to every one of those variables. But it is liberal outrage now or leftist outrage now is such a blunt tool it's hitting everything with the same force. You can see how that it's just, if you call enough non-racists racist enough, at a certain point, they're going to say, well, fuck you. I'm going to vote for Trump too. It's like, you're not my party anymore.
2: And also, if I may, as Bill pointed out, I mean, we don't need to worry about Russian meddling. They have meddled with the elections all these years using the Supreme Court, the gerrymandering, all these different things were used, the Electoral College, to guarantee the Republicans would have a larger percentage of the voters than they really are, they really earned. So I think there's, the system is so broken, it seems like who's going to yes, fix that? If you ex,
1: know? If just if ex-felons could have voted yes. in Florida, mm-hmm. many have, states. It would be a blue state. Yeah, I mean, exactly. they, uh, the, the, they, the one thing Republicans are creative about is cheating. Their <laughs> genius is at cheating. <clears throat> if they channeled any of that creative energy into anything else, they could fix all the problems <laughs> in the world. But they're brilliant at it, like the way they chipped away at abortion rights. Who would have thought some of these things? You know, uh, you can't uh, have abortion here unless the hallways are eight feet wide. And, you know, those kind of laws that they're always thinking up. All the environmental regulations
2: are right. pulled back. Pruitt's gone. You see, the thing is, Pruitt's mm-hmm. gone, but the environmental regulations keep on getting pulled back. We had this big moment yes. of <clears throat> we were upset about the children being put in the detention centers. It's going on every single day since then, you know what I mean, in large numbers. So... Mm. Is so, it's overwhelming, and again, I think this is why people are looking for some kind of a simple, comfortable answer, and why some people retreat mm. into simpler solutions to the problems instead of facing the fact that it's kind of out of control.
0: Before, I feel the tractor beam of current events pulling us off the topic of religious as I, I want to go yeah, there. I, but, I wanted to say I, one thing but, to
1: your last question yeah. if I, about, you said, you know, in the last 10 years, things have changed a lot, and, you know. I always make the joke when people say religious and I take all the credit, but I know it's, it's really not because of religious. It may have had a nice little moment. I think the, the big thing that made the difference in the last 10 years is Google, mm. yeah. you know, yeah. it, Mitt Romney used to come to your house with a pamphlet. That's <laughs> as much as you could find out about Mormonism. And it sounded pretty good in the pamphlet. Scientology is a perfect example. You'd, you'd be in the religion 10 years before yeah. you found out about the nutty creation. Zenu, yeah. right. Yeah. right. Right. You have, right. You didn't have to get to like level right. six or something. Well, well,
0: that's the amazing Paul Haggis story. Not to derail you, but do you, do you know the, the Paul Haggis story? I think it was, it was in Lawrence Wright's Can, book. And going clear. Yeah. I mean, he was in like whatever, 20 years right? and they finally give him the secret teachings in a you know, he has to take a briefcase to essentially like a bank vault and, and, and <laughs> contemplate them in solitude. And he came right. and it's all the just, you know, 70 trillion years ago. Right. And they're brought here on something that the resembled a bombs. DC-8 and right. thrown into volcanoes and blown up with, with hydrogen bombs. And, you know, his summary of it was he thought he was given, uh, he was being given an insanity test. Right. Like, like he didn't know whether or not he should just laugh <laughs> and, and then pass the test or accept this. But that was what I'm
1: saying is that you can look that up now. It's all over the internet. Yeah, it's true. And at a certain point it wasn't, you know, uh, and Mormonism is just as wacky, but they'll still deny
0: it. I mean, the Mormons will still deny that there's secret handshakes to get into heaven. The Scientologists will definitely deny, you know, what was great
2: in religious lists is we were able to find clips, uh, like promotional footage that they shot animated pieces that sort of tell the origin myths of Mormonism and Scientology. And those, were they were like car- Saturday morning cartoons, but they were real. And yeah, those were, were very, very uh, telling, I thought. Right. They were great. And they were hilarious. Hilarious. Because it's just, here they are as it is, you know. It's like, we don't have, have to play with that at all.
0: How do you actually accomplish that as a director? Do you just, you have some researcher who is just scouring the world? I tend to myself
2: uh, 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 generate a lot of the, the clip thoughts. Because I'm mm-hmm. thinking all throughout what movies might be funny to draw on, what stuff we might need. And then, yeah, I have great researchers who go out and find those clips, get permission to use them, which is very tricky. Yeah, We had all these Middle Eastern uh, clips from from various uh, terrorist organizations. It's very hard to get permission to use those things. You right. Know? Right. So uh, it's tricky, but that's how you do it. Yeah, it's a very, uh, that's a laborious process.
0: And that's one of the things that makes the film so much different than just the normal, uncomfortable interview. You can just sprinkle it with hilarity, right. you know, more or less on demand. Is there anything you would, either of you would do differently or that you regret, or is there any place where you felt like you don't, because, 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 one thing, one thing I feel, <laughs> don't go there, I, <laughs> right.
1: I always regret, I mean, yeah. just, you just can't, I don't know. We it's hard, do well, the it, whole movie yeah. over, exactly. I, both of us, uh, both right. of us like, could watch I, that movie I, and
2: imagine doing the entire movie over from beginning to end. We could do another version of it today. Right. It's the kind of thing where it's, that's the, that's what happened
1: then. Right. Right. You know. It's the old thing. Art is never finished, just abandoned. Yeah. Yeah. And we abandoned it at some point. And, you know, I'm so glad people still like it. Yeah. And I still like it, but I can't, I can't (laughs) watch it without thinking, yeah, I could have been more eloquent there, or I could have thought of three other better examples, or I don't know. I was right. getting up in the morning, Sam. It was not. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, thing. It was, <laughs> uh, there had to be some jet lag. I yeah, yeah, uh, got in the morning. That Mornings was a are not yeah. my no. time. And there yeah. I am in Megiddo at eight a.m. <laughs> Talking about the uh, yeah. the apocalypse, right? You
0: know. Well, the the Jesus Land. What well, I forget what it's called. Oh, Holy the Land. Holy Land <laughs> amusement park. You know Disneyland for religious sadists. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the the, the crucifixion scene yeah. there was insane. Like, yes. I, I still can't believe that. Does it still exist? Do you think? This oh, I'm thing sure. sure. Holy land definitely yeah. exists. Yeah,
1: I yeah. It was and,
2: in... and not only is it crazy, but it's like three times a day crazy. I mean, yeah. they do the show <laughs> like you know the Disneyland shows. They Right. Do them over and over, and
1: over all day long. I love that Jesus. He yeah. I hope he's sweet.
2: getting paid
0: well because he's earning his money. I mean, <laughs> Lebowski
2: Jesus. Yeah. Right. Just like the Lebowski. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was the dude as yeah, Jesus. He was, yeah. He was perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. but he was also a legit believer who sure. was ar- wanted to oh. argue with you. I mean, he, he came up with the best analogy of the, yes. of, of, you know, the best
2: theologian you went up against. Yeah, it's you know? true. But you know something? That's one of the great things about Bill also, if I may tip my hat further, he's a great listener mm-hmm. and he is not as much as it might seem like he's got an agenda. He's very open-minded. And when people make good points all along the way in religious, when people make good points, he acknowledged that he's not, he's not trying to uh, trip them up. He's letting right. them speak. And when they speak intelligently,
1: he, he acknowledges that. And I yeah, think that's a very most great of the people, I mean, the trucker scene, you know, that one trucker walks out in the, in the beginning. Yeah. We thought right. he might be, he was a big guy about to was, kill me, but luckily he went the other way out the right. door, but the other guys and I wound up being very friendly and, you know, they prayed for me at the end. And I mean, it was actually kind of sweet.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. What would well, well, you, Find yourself on camera going further in a adversarial direction than you would if the camera wasn't rolling. Like if you were just in a social situation with these people, and and the topic of religion came up, do you think that you would agree to disagree much earlier, or (laughs) or I mean, because I I mean, I find myself at dinner parties, you know, you know, rarely, but now, but you know, it was more true ten years ago, but. I mean, I've had some, uh, you know, I've gone to the mat with some people in just purely social situations, just because what they're saying is dumb enough and strident enough that it just seems like, all right, this is a good time to dig in on this topic. But I could imagine if this was being captured for a documentary, I might want to go further because, listen, this, you know, this is the war of ideas that's going to go public. I'm just wondering if that, if you notice a a difference between your on-camera self and your off-camera self in these kinds of conversations.
1: Well, the good thing about me is really the same thing as the bad thing about me. I'm not really any different.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would agree with
2: that. You I would know? agree with that. I don't think you feel pressure to perform once the camera's no. roll. You are you. Yeah,
1: especially yeah. in that kind of movie, and that kind of setting. And I'd rather let the comedy speak for itself. Um, I was doing a, a bit at the end of... Uh, my show Friday night to really at the end, I plugged this because it was my tribute on real time for the 10th anniversary. And April Ryan was on the panel and it came up before we even got to the end of the show, something about religion. And I said to her, you know, you are not going to like this end of the show. And I could tell, you know, she's probably someone who goes to church every Mm. Sunday and She does not want to hear Jesus insulted. And I was afraid she was going to like really not have a good time or say something even during the editorial. And she wound up laughing so hard. We have cutaways of her, yeah, you know, and to me, that is the greatest thing about humor is that laughter is involuntary. Mm -hmm. You cannot help it. And when it comes out that way, it must in some way say to your brain, ah, there's some truth there. Because I laughed at that. Yeah. It must be a little ridiculous. Yes. Because me, this religious person on the paddle, who doesn't really think that way, still laughed. So that's how I hope our message somehow got, got through to people who otherwise would not have appreciated it. And,
2: and I have found out to be, by the way, I just don't go to dinner parties anymore. That no. would be my advice. <laughs> <seat. laughs> but um, I have found also in my travels that people, religious, even people who are religious people, as long as they have a sense of humor, they love the movie. Yes. Um. I have never met anybody who had a sense of humor who didn't like that movie. I mean, it's a very pleasing
1: movie in that respect, you and know? it's about the subject that they are interested in. <laughs> That's right. That helps.
0: <laughs> yeah. Was there any situation that you got into that beyond the the one trucker who exited in something that looked like it was approaching real anger? Was there anything that seemed dangerous or sketchy that you because you were you were in the Middle East and. I mean, what you went to the Al Mosque and, and yeah. all that seemed, as far as it was on camera, that all yeah. seemed totally fine.
1: No, we got thrown out of so many places. I mean, you see it in the Mormon Temple, and you see the lady at Holy Land come over and and all. But I wasn't. Uh, I don't think I was ever scared for if, my life. If you were killed
0: by Mormons. I would say you've, yes. you've done something. Now, really Larry sooner. could tell you stories about <laughs> his, about his other
1: movies. I remember yeah. when we were communicating. Uh, when you were making Bruno. Yeah. And, you know, I, he, I could tell he was really scared. Yeah. He was like, if I don't see you again, pal, I love right. you. I'm <laughs> glad the glad violence had, was had, different. There was a le- different level of violence for that movie. Yeah, Well, he, I mean, they do yeah. even crazier things.
2: The thing with Bruno is because he was an outwardly flamboyantly gay character, almost every situation had some kind of level of violence in it, both in this country and in the other countries. <laughs> right, yeah. There was always a kind of a confrontation. Now, we had mm. confrontations sometimes, but we didn't, you know, people didn't think, and also we had some big guys with us, which helped. Mm-hmm. But uh, we never felt any level of uh, violence, really. And There was no weapons around, and you know, we we you know we did our thing and we moved on, and it was pretty, it was it was fun and it was safe. It was never uh, it was never that level of tension.
1: What I remember as the tensest moments were when we were shooting in the West Bank and our Israeli bodyguards. We're very nervous about certain places. That that last day at Megido, yeah. Well, even was
2: the Al Aqsa Arab- Mosque. Yes, I mean, of that course. was the kind mm-hmm. of a crazy yes. place to go to. It right. Be, we wound up getting in at that time. Things were much quieter. Yeah, it'd be in harder. But know, there was I a think. lot
1: of Israeli security in the neighboring area. Yeah. When we were in Megiddo, that was an Arab town, and we finished shooting. It was a very long day, and we were hungry as hell. And there was a restaurant, and we were all wanting to get into that restaurant and eat. And the Israeli bodyguards spent a very long time in there checking it out. And when we finally went in there and ate it, ate the food, all I could think of was, wow, this whole thing could be solved. Cause they wanted us to buy their food and we were thrilled to be eating their food. Yeah. And there was no problem. No. And I feel like, you know, except for politics and stupid people and stubborn leaders and, and cynical leaders who like to keep the conflict going because that benefits them. Yeah. That that probably could have been solved a long time ago. People just generally want to live their lives. They want to open their restaurant and sell they their They want to food. go to
2: work and they want to have right. their kids go to school and they don't right. want to be killed. And you know, just they don't like want to think else. about politics, yeah. you know? So... In Bruno, by the way, in Jerusalem, we had a very different experience. We were actually stoned by yeah. the Hasidim uh, in Jerusalem. So it was very, this is the contrast I'm trying to draw yeah, between that, doing it with Bill that's and intense. doing it with Sasha. Yeah.
0: And uh, Bruno was a far more dangerous shoot than Borat? There was so much. Uh,
2: uh, uh, yeah, yes. Borat was kind of like religious. People were very patient and it was kind of sweet. Uh-huh. Uh, it was turned very dark in Bruno. There was so much homophobia, so much hatred towards the character and he's
1: constantly hitting on people yeah, who yeah. are not gay yeah. who find that not just yeah something and you they... had
2: to find people that were really vehemently anti-gay like hunters yes and people the, like right. that who have right. guns terrorists So yeah yeah <laughs> terrorist terrorists guy, you know. exactly in very precarious positions and uh and off and like the hasidim attacked we had many attacks in berlin we were attacked in every place we went to and the cage fights People rushed the stage and tried to kill him. I mean, that was, uh, you know, we happened to build a a tunnel underneath the ring so he could escape, but he left his co-star there, of course. The camera guy, everybody was left there. (laughs) But he got out, got in the van, and he was gone. Oh,
3: Oh.
2: really? (laughs) We were all
0: left with, you know, I had the tapes. All you have to be is faster than your camera guy very important (laughs)
1: and your director very important you want to be faster than the bear yeah and most of that crew was
2: uh, the religious crew as well by the way very cool guys who loved the traveling and we had a great time let me say one more thing about it which i was thinking about on the ride over it's a very handmade movie you know and and i like that it's not slick at all it's a very handmade product like even just talking to Bill in the van, and we just kind of picked up the camera and started shooting. Yeah. We would just, like, go with the flow of what was happening, and I knew that was going to really be
1: spontaneous and a very different
2: quality than you normally see in movies, you know? And That's I think another that really... reason
1: why it holds up, because as the public becomes more show business savvy, they, especially the younger generation, they reject slick yeah. in a very big way. Look, they all shoot stuff on their own phone. Exactly. That's the way they like something to look. So it really still looks like that. Yes, it does.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting phenomenon that there, if it's as slick as can be, that is durable and good. If it's just super handheld and and like no no thought went into this, I'm just sticking my iPhone in front of your face and you're driving the car that survives scrutiny. It's this valley between where you look like a bad cable show or something. Well, a lot
2: of shows do that. A lot of shows, uh, like, borrowed the the curb or or that sort of uh, vibe, but then, you know, really controlled it. So it's not really spontaneous. It's like, it's uh, it's contrived. Right. And I think people really can sniff out contrivance from a mile away. Whether it's a movie or a TV show or live or whatever it is, there's a contrivance, it's going to be false, and people really uh, recognize falseness.
1: Well, they certainly still like reality shows, and they must know by now those are all contrived and false. They must know that... Well, it's
0: perhaps the most addictive blend because they're not all contrived. They're contrived enough to be untrustworthy, but either these people are the best actors on earth
1: or they're not all contrived. I mean, you're getting real emotion. Uh, I don't know about real. We know how they're made. They, They do have structures. They know where they're going beat by beat. Really, the, of course, and the producers say to the people they're it, prodding. The
2: producers are always prodding, prodding the people. To but but yeah. people
0: don't always know they're being prodded. They're saying, "Well, so and so said this about you. Well, you know, what do you think about that?" I think and they they're, know they're, that they're being what,
1: manipulated. What keeps them on the show is being the most flamboyant, right. the most outrageous, the most sometimes unlikable. Yes, this has been going on for twenty years. Amorosa is still exactly. a, a personality. How did yeah. that right. happen? Yeah. You know yes. what I
2: mean? But I kind of feel, if I may. It's kind of like wrestling for me. I I feel like it's like wrestling, and the audience is kind of in on it. They know it's a show. I even feel at the Trump rallies, to some degree, the cheering and the craziness, which is very scary, is also like we're in on the show. We're having a good time, like yelling and screaming and being hateful to the other side, you know? So I think there is that. The audience, I think, is kind of conscious of this dynamic that's going on in reality shows and these rallies and in that kind of
0: dynamic in general. It is like we're living in a world that has been now fully reset by we've just mentioned two of the three media forms you've got reality television you've got wrestling and you have social media and like now that has subsumed everything like our (laughs) our politics is the crystallization of those three things now and it's I think most of us feel this way, that there's something unrecognizable about the
1: world we're living in. Yes. I was saying to Steve Bannon the other night that I thought Michael Ebenotti could be the Trump of the Democratic Party, not in the sense that he's an awful person. He's not. I like him. But in the sense that he could make the regular politicians look boring and tiresome yeah, because right. he is not a politician and he doesn't play that game and he's got a pair of balls. And when he attacks Trump, he attacks him in a way that makes us liberals go, yeah. Yeah, he wounds about, him. He yeah, wounds he wounds him. Wounds him. He goes toe to, to toe and insults him. You're a disgrace. And yeah. So. He's willing to be an irritant
2: also. He's yes. willing
1: to risk unlikability
2: right. to make his point, which and is takes
1: balls. To your point, the, the world we're living in, that is maybe what it takes now to get elected. Right. I don't know if yeah. the Democrats are going to um, take to a guy like that the way the Republicans embraced Trump, but it is entirely possible. I, I, I can't say I think he would be the best president in the field with Eric Holder and Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris and, and Elizabeth Warren, some other people who know government and have experience and I think would be much better equipped, mm. but I could see him blowing through that field.
2: Yeah. I mean, was Trump yeah. equipped, you know, I mean, <laughs> yes, yeah, but, uh, so it's, there's a possibility there. Absolutely. I think, uh, um, he is willing to play that role. And if, uh, if people cling to civility, the, the ancient art of civility, yeah. which is what you're referring to, really, as far as the, the world ending, right. that world is over. And if people are clinging to right. civility in these processes while Trump, you know, just sort of tramples over everything else, obviously we're, we're going to be left behind. Yeah. Right? It can't so be guys that, like Avenatti can be leaders in that respect. You know? Well, it's,
0: it's not just civility. It's also honesty. And it's also just knowing that your audience cares that you're telling the truth or seem to be telling the truth. I mean, so like the thing that's so bewildering for me about Trump is that he lies all the time, but most of his lies aren't even attempts at seeming credible. Like he knows his audience doesn't care that he's lying. It's a different kind of performance. It's his way of saying, I've got the power and I can just tell all these liberal schmucks to fuck off. Well, and that's this is what how it I'm going to do it.
1: It's all about trolling. Yeah. I even think the people at the rallies half the time know what is bullshit, but they don't care because that is secondary to making liberals cry your liberal tears that's what they care more about than anything and of course that's wrong but it also should occasion liberals to look in the mirror a little bit and just ask why are we this obnoxious and this is Mm -hmm. my team you know but i'm sort of a man without a team kind of the only one on tv now because i will go after the left and a lot of them hate me for it but They do need to look in the mirror and ask, why are people wearing t-shirts that say, I'd rather be with Russia than the Democrats? I'm not Mm -hmm. saying they're right or they're smarter than us, but I do understand why liberal, why conservative people sometimes just look at some of the excesses on the left and go, you know what? Trump's crazy, but you people are crazy in your own way. Mm. And I like his crazy better. At least it's fun. You and let, people are just buzzkills. And let's
2: face it. I mean, in my opinion, watching what's been going on, I mean, if it wasn't for Michael Avenatti and Ronan Farrow, where would this country be right now? None of these kind of things would have come up. The Me Too movement was started by Ronan Farrow, not a politician. No, it wasn't. You, know? you can't give Ronan Farrow Well, but credit. Ronan Farrow has championed it. Okay, well, and he has done more to bring it to the forefront a than a black any politician. black woman
1: 10 years earlier, Well, oh, right. I understand name. that. And I don't mean to yes. give him full credit right. for
2: it. I'm saying he has brought it to a mainstream level that you would think the politicians would be
1: leading that cause. He is yeah. celebrity sleuth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the New Yorker is sort of becoming the Inquirer, but I'm okay with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, actually, the Inquirer
0: see, becomes the New Yorker. Yes, That's, it's you know. <laughs> your last show, so your your interview with Steve Bannon actually dissects out this problem pretty clearly. So th- there was this; he was invited to be interviewed by David Remnick at the New Yorker Festival, right? And there was just this absolute mutiny of. New Yorker festival talent and, you know, prominent comics and people just said, I'm not showing up if you're going to talk to this guy. Let's say it was a judgment call about whether or not to invite him. I I can, I can understand why the New Yorker might have said, we don't want to talk to Steve Bannon. But once you invite him, the idea that you have so little faith in your set of ideas and in David Remnick as an interviewer, that to have a conversation with him is just pure liability. I mean, it was just like it was a spectacular own goal of the left where they disinvited him and he just owned the New Yorker just without even getting on an airplane. And the fact that you had him on the show and you had this perfectly benign and sensible interview just showed what an insane miscalculation the whole New Yorker thing was. I mean, it was just
1: completely yeah, people, fine that you interviewed him. Yeah, people liked that interview. I was yeah. very tough on him in a way that. Didn't offend him. He likes to joust. Yes. The first thing I said to him was, this says a lot about why your team wins. Hillary Clinton never came on my show. Took me eight years of begging Obama to do it. And I'm on their side. (laughs) Right. They're too afraid to, they're afraid to even come on a show with somebody who's generally on their side. And I don't think it's because they're afraid they can't defend their ideas. I think it's because the left are a bunch of pussies who let themselves get bullied by this I think it's a, not a majority. I think it is a minority. It's the, the very far left. It's the people who, when Matt Damon said, I think we can all agree that a pat on the ass is different than rape, right. who went, no, we can't agree on that. How <laughs> dare you, Matt Damon? Shut up. And I'm like, I've never heard a, least, a less controversial statement than yeah. that. Yeah. But that fraction that has lost its mind about degree and many other basic tenets of rational thinking, they intimidate a lot of people. And people are at the point where they just don't want to say anything. Matt Damon's comment after that was, I think I should just keep my mouth shut. And that's a very dangerous place to be. And that's a very dangerous type of censorship, not a government censorship, a censorship of the social justice warriors where. People just are like, you know what? Even when I say the right thing, I'm wrong. I'm just
0: going to shut the fuck up.
1: Right. And, and that's that's, that's
0: happening to celebrities and billionaires. I mean, like, like, it's seemingly impossible to be rich enough and powerful enough to guarantee courage in the face of this, because it's just, you get enough people on Twitter telling you you're a bigot or a racist or to somehow there be are on the also pale.
2: economics at play. I mean, I think Bill transcends economics on his show. So he has who he wants to have on and deals with the consequences. I'm okay with the comedians or whoever was going to be on the panel dropping out if they don't want Steve Bannon, but I think it's cowardly of the New Yorker to cancel the appearance because of that. Right. That's the difference to me. It's like people are allowed to react however they want. There are consequences to free speech. That's a healthy thing. But you have to stand fast in the face of that. So if they really wanted to interview Steve Bannon, they
1: should have just interviewed and him. Also, Steve Bannon is
2: one of the most
1: influential people yeah. Yeah. in the world right now. He's not Richard Spencer. And yeah. he's not Richard Spencer. Right, and exactly. I, I totally understand how you might say, well, he's Richard Spencer adjacent. There are things that, yes, there talk are. And let's that. talk right. about right. that. Right, Because he would disagree with that. He doesn't see it that way, and I think he honestly doesn't. I don't think Steve Bannon, who spent a lot of time in Hollywood, I don't think he looks at a black person like Richard Spencer and thinks There's a subhuman that I can't share the country with that. I don't think is Steve Bannon or even Donald Trump. Are there, is Trump willing to use racism or anything? Of course, but Steve Bannon has a real philosophy. It may not be your philosophy or even the right philosophy, but I I was sorry we ran out of time because I was about to get to the area, immigration and so forth, where Steve Bannon and I. Share some ideas as you do. I think. I think we would all say that Europe. You know, he spent a lot of time in Europe recently with with their movements, and some of those far right movements make me nervous too. But Europe has a very different situation with immigration than we do. Definitely, people who are coming from societies where they were raised under Sharia law of some kind, there is going to be a a assimilation problem in a way we don't have that with Mexicans coming to this country. And my problem with liberals in this country, I think, is that when they hear Islam or Muslim, they think of the Muslim guy they know at work. They, they're talking about an American Muslim, of which there are three to five million, and not the 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. And so when we're talking about Europe, we're talking about a very different situation.
0: Yeah. And th- that's my concern about the left, that the left currently seems incapable of making those kinds of distinctions so like it's for you right. to say that we don't want the u.s to be anything like germany at this moment with respect to immigration and problems of assimilation that's just hand them out to expressing your racism right like like that's you you're matt damon on another topic right. you know, and, <laughs> and the <laughs> yeah. conversation's over and and in that context politically
1: i think we have trump for another four years exactly I, that's what david trump said if you, you call everybody. Who asks any questions about immigration are racist. Then people will hire racists to do the job that liberals won't.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: and nobody—it's funny to me. Yeah, they yell. Liberals yell about Americans did not take as many Syrians in as we should. Well, maybe we could have taken more in, but Saudi Arabia took none. Mm. Right, a neighboring Arab country took none. Where's the outrage about that? Yeah, a rich, empty Arab country couldn't take Syrians in. There should in. be a lot of outrage about Saudi Arabia. That's right. another, another subject. would they be more at home in Dusseldorf? Yeah. Or Saudi Arabia? Well, it, that's the it,
2: thing. It, in it, Turkey, you know, there's like a million, you know, these are smaller countries with very homogeneous populations to some degree. And now they're having the, uh, this influx, uh, like there's a million Syrians who come flooded into Turkey. I mean, the country can't really handle, these countries can't handle what's going on. You know, it's mm-hmm. overwhelming to these countries. And out of that comes, again, backlash right-wing backlash, very anti-immigration, but these people are fleeing you know, countries that they can't stay in anymore either. So the whole thing is so complicated that simple answers are not going to fix it.
1: I, I asked someone on the panel about, I don't know, a year ago, I said, what do you think would happen if a European country like France or England, any country, became 51% Muslim? And she said, well, wh- why don't you ask that question about Christianity? I was like, really? that's your answer? Yeah. Because they are. <laughs> we, we don't need to ask that question. It's not a parallel. And my point was that not that I think most Muslims in the world want to create havoc. It's just that in the Islamic world currently, the moderates don't seem to ever win. There was thousands of people who joined up with ISIS from all over the world. They came to be part of ISIS. I didn't hear about anybody joining up to a brigade that was fighting ISIS. Yeah. Mm. And if a country became 51% Muslim, I don't think most of those Muslims would want to live under Sharia law. But the ones who do, I think would win. Mm -hmm.
3: Because like
1: we're saying in this country, the stronger right-wing, more fervent minority very often carries the day. Yeah.
0: There are a few data points in the UK that summarize this problem in microcosm. So there was one point at which there were more British muslim citizens who had gone to fight for isis than in the british armed forces right yeah yeah that's one data point the other is that when you uh, you must have heard this the poll question to um british muslims i think 18 to 24 it might have been every age about whether or not homosexuality is morally acceptable the percentage saying yes it's morally acceptable is zero Right, right. Like, and you, and as you know, there is no question so outlandish that you can ask in in most polling contexts that gets you a zero response. I mean, if you ask Americans, you know, do you think alien ships have landed and the, and these beings walk among us, you're going to get 16 percent or so saying that, the, right. that that's happened, right? Yes. I mean, it's just you, you yeah, can't zero. Yeah, you've got to. You got to work long and hard to get a realize, zero response. That's hard. it's hard to reach zero. And
1: and I know that liberals blow a gasket if you use that phrase, no go zones. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what the actual phrase, the, yeah. the right phrase would be, but how about a neighborhood that scares me? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, <laughs> don't know, want to go zone. Cause I walked in <laughs> yeah. one in London yeah. a few years ago. And yeah. I don't know if that means a no go zone, but it looked, uh, scary. May, maybe I'm conflating that with what I saw on the 60 minutes episode where, cause I didn't see this, but it was on 60 minutes where there's a woman in a mini skirt walking down the street and all the men are screaming at her. And she turns around and goes, this is Britain. Yeah. But yeah. not in that neighborhood. Right. And they were, and they were harassing people with drinks. They were harassing people they thought were gay. Um, so yeah, that that's something we don't have in America.
0: Yeah. No, there's been a lot of that. There's been people who've gone walking while Jewish in Paris and been right. spat upon, and but again, to talk about it in the way that we are now is to sound like you're getting your news from Breitbart, because it's not the kind of thing that gets honestly written about in the New York Times, or I mean, that you you can read articles. There, there could be some, well, there could be some terrorist incident or some honor killing or something horrific, where in mainstream papers like the Times or you know the Guardian, you'll get not only no mention of islam or religion clearly they're writing around it in the most acrobatic way well i
1: think what they do is they report i do read a lot of incidents in the new york times about things that happen in pakistan for example yeah. and they're horrific they just don't then incorporate into a big picture yeah they will report the story for example i remember reading this one where a kid i'm p- pretty sure it was in pakistan Misheard the imam in class, who said, "If you don't believe in the prophet, raise your hand." Right, right. And he raised his hand, and of course, this was not good. Uh, <laughs> but he thought the man had said, "Those who do believe in the prophet." So it yeah, was an honest mistake. This is the most so consequential the only logical game of Simon thing. Says ever. Yes. Right. He did the only logical thing. He went home and cut his hand off. Right. Yeah. And brought it to school the next day. Where they were very crestfallen about it. I'm kidding. They gave it a hero's welcome and said he was a brilliant kid who did the right thing. So they will report a story like that, but then they won't, you know, sort of. That's different, though. They'll report on
0: the mayhem in Pakistan. They'll talk about a Shia mosque being blown up by Sunnis. Right. They won't draw any larger conclusions about it, as as you say. But writing about incidents in Germany, for instance, they're very careful. I mean, sometimes. There's no indication given that these people are immigrants or Muslim or, and so you see a little bit of that, and then the right wing obviously makes much of those delusions, and it begins to seem like a, again, it comes down to David Frum's point. It's like, if the only people who will speak plainly about a phenomenon are right wing nutcases, well, then you're going to give that job to the right wing nutcases.
2: Well, it's hard work to, because to, uh, I, I feel there, is, uh, there are many uh, points of view on this that are um, thoughtful. And mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of suffering, and I don't want to really promote Islamophobia. So I think it's important to for people to reach out a little bit further than their little worlds. Because if you read Al Jazeera, or you read some of the Middle Eastern newspapers, or you read some of the, the Asian newspapers, or any newspapers from around the world, or even The Guardian, which covers Europe a little bit more extensively. Right. Um, you see it's very complicated. There's people Absolutely. on all sides trying to figure this out. And we are so far from Europe, we tend to sort of see it in the simplistic right. scenario when it's super complex. Each country has its own complexities to deal with these problems. So it's it, we have to be careful also not to make too many assumptions about it without having enough to draw on, you know?
0: Well, I, th- I think you're, you may be lo- locating the complexity in a slightly different spot than I would. I, I mean, the refugee problem to solve is hugely complicated i mean we've got 68 million people right now who are refugees that's just disaster and what you do with that even with the best of intentions even if you didn't have to worry about the ideas that were coming along with the people across the borders just an enormous civilizational problem but i mean there are people who just get this right reliably they just don't have big enough megaphones someone like our friend majid nawaz who you had on your show several times so he's a former extremist. He's still a Muslim. He lives in the UK. Let him talk for a hundred hours on this topic. He's not going to strike a wrong note, but what's amazing is he is a controversial person to have in a mainstream context. He doesn't get invited on CNN as much as he gets invited on Fox. Right. Uh, listen, right? That's, and that's, that's a, that's another problem
2: that you're addressing. I mean, the mainstream media has completely failed in my opinion in telling any of these stories really honestly and and embracing well, the complexity of them. CNN, you know, has a... Is, I'm, I'm shocked at sometimes at how CNN will present a story and focus it and frame it in such a way that is not presenting the true story, you know? And so, one
1: reason why I read, I believe this is from our friend Gren, Glenn Greenwald, mm, What better source. Yeah, right. Pointed oh, out... I'm a fan of as well. Yeah. <laughs> pointed out that uh, MSNBC, they get ratings by the segment, Mm. by the 10, 15-minute block. So you're on MSNBC. You've seen a couple of your colleagues get fired and lose their shows. You know who the audience is. You don't want to say something there that the audience is going to give you a low rating for. So you don't want to bring this topic up. Or Mm. if it comes up, you don't want to say anything that makes them think outside the box that they are comfortable in already—it's right. because framed, you want to keep it's, your it's show framed on. in a certain way yeah. to
2: make it palatable to that audience, right? And it's an economic decision again. I agree with you. It's mm-hmm. a lot of economics. Those two companies, uh, NBC and CNN, are probably more profitable since Trump has gotten elected, of course. And yeah. that's kind of you know they are aware of that. They have shareholders and they have to answer to that. And that's part of what the news is about now. So it has that other agenda that's always
0: uh, underneath the surface. Although uh, in defense of MSNBC, I think it's MSNBC, Lawrence O'Donnell is consistently good on this topic. They he, do have liberal he, people, but yeah. they
2: also have a lot of uh, Trump haters who are actually Bush people who just happen yes. to hate Trump, and they're oh, not yeah. really liberals exactly. No, anyway, no, no. You know, they're, they're Bush conservatives. They they long for exactly. that, mm-hmm. that America, you know, mm-hmm. of the dynasty of Bush. Bush
1: <laughs> was lobbying for Kavanaugh. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and a lot of those people who you're talking about, the David Jollies, the Steve Schmidts, the Nicole Wallaces, are exactly. the big heroes for the left now. They would have been lobbying for Kavanaugh too. Absolutely.
0: So, all of these um now we have torn
1: down society. What do we do guys? Yeah, yeah.
0: well let's bring it back to comedy because <laughs> what has this done to comedy because it, it seems to me that I mean, we can talk about the people who have um been knocked down, you know, famous comics in this era of increased concern about not touching any taboo topic or not touching it in the wrong way. Well, let's pick a name. Someone like Sarah Silverman, who made her career on like the, the most transgressive jokes. I haven't seen her stand up recently, but I can't imagine the Sarah Silverman of 10 years ago could launch herself in that way today, what, what's comedy I mean, doing? I think uh, that's, doing?
2: that's a very, uh, also a complicated point because it's true. I think most people in comedy are kind of trying to figure it out, trying to stay true to themselves, but also trying to assess, you know, the, the audience and understand what people are finding funny. A lot of stuff that was funny 10 years ago is no longer funny. Mm. That's just a reality. Sarah Silverman had a persona at one time and used her persona to sort of tell a lot of very transgressive jokes, as you put it. I think she's kind of stripped out away now, and she's sort of herself, and trying to have that more human connection with the audience. I think it's very tough uh, for, uh, you know, comedians to figure that out. You've run into trouble at
1: times, too. I oh, mean, it's hard. <laughs> many times. Yeah. I, I don't envy young comics coming up because they have not had a career yet. So they don't want to do something that's going to abort that mm. possibility altogether. Right. Whereas I have had a career and a good one. I'm about to celebrate 25 years with an anniversary show. If they pulled the plug tomorrow, that's a pretty damn good run. Very few people have been on 20, uh, TV 25 years straight. So I always feel like I'm playing with the house money. Right. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to. I never have gone out of my way to insult anybody, or but people do get insulted when you say what you think is the truth and especially when you tell a liberal audience that no you got it wrong and you need to (laughs) you need to like to look at this side of it Mm. they don't want to hear that any more than the conservatives do but I don't care anymore you know that's my brand first of all my brand is doing that if I stop doing that telling it as I see it I think then I would lose the audience Mm. So I'm in a, a fairly good and somewhat unique position to be able to do that. But I hear it from all the all the time from younger comics who say, first of all, you can't even try out new material because the people in the clubs have phones. Correct. They'll tweet it out. Mm. It'll be out of your mouth, and in two minutes, people will know about it. He said this. He said, yeah, but I'm just trying things out. There's no place to think out loud anymore for these kids. Yes, that's it's, true. It's terrible. And, what what and about
0: it's, playing colleges? Do people... Still play colleges? In the well, it seems way.
2: very loaded now to play colleges since mm. the, the audience is so divided. Jerry
1: Seinfeld famously said a few years ago he was stopping. When, when, when the crowd is too politically correct for Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> yeah. that, his act whitens teeth. Yeah. It's not just clean. <laughs> yeah. uh, he stopped doing it. Chris Rock stopped doing it. Larry the Cable Guy stopped mm. doing it. When a redneck, a Jew, and a black guy walk into a bar and say, We're not playing college. There's something wrong with the colleges. And colleges are the let's get on to that. Yeah. that the breeding grounds
2: for a lot of the things we're talking
1: about. Craziness. Yeah, yeah. There's
0: this fantasy that this indoctrination will simply stay in colleges. But obviously all these kids grow up and they get hired and we see them hired by the New York Times and Other institutions, Google. I'll I'll give you the example that I ran into recently that horrified me. I'm I'm sure this story is known to you, if not the person. But the person, uh, Jonathan Friedland, who was fired from Netflix for using the N-word, in a context where he was using it to illustrate his non-racism, using it to just say, this
1: is how sensitive we have to be, he lost his job. But across the board, not just with that subject, any subject, there's no sense of context or nuance or intent with anything anymore. Because people, again, they sort of lost the ability. I think they've lost the thread back to fundamental concepts of thinking. And so what we're left with is just these social justice warriors waiting to pounce. They think it makes them a good person to point, oh, I found one. They're, they're mm. witch hunters. They are. Yeah. Found some guy who said this or he fat shamed or he did. But, but, Jesus, and it, well, and also as guys that grew up in the, 60s, in the 60s and 70s, to think that the
2: left is now the thought police. Right. Is, is yeah. just it, kind of blows my mind. It does.
1: Know? Right. It's, it's terribly disappointing. You're exactly right when you put it that way that, that these were the free thinkers. Yeah.
0: You mentioned the crucial word for me, which is intent. The people who called for his head knew that he didn't intend any offense by it. In fact, right. to, to the opposite. I mean, they knew he was the least racist guy you're going to find. They knew it wasn't an expression of racism. And yet still they wanted the sanction to hold because of the magical they, properties
1: of the word. They just want to carry pitchforks and torches and storm the barricades yeah. and, and find a bad guy. And half the time, they're so lazy, they do it at people on their own team. Yeah, that is (laughs) lazy. That is what it is. Let's let's fight this battle far behind enemy lines with people who are actually on our team.
0: Which only the left does. I mean, that's another part of the asymmetry here between the left and the right. I mean, the the left will just kill its own in a way that the right doesn't. The right prioritizes
1: these battles. No, it all, I believe, started with the way that they parents have raised their kids especially, I think, the upper-middle-class white folk. I think of that famous viral video that we saw from Yale University a couple of years ago where the yeah, with, with kids uh, are screaming. Nicholas
0: Christakis, yeah, he's been on the podcast. Uh,
1: the, whose wife wrote the yeah. little yeah, Erica yeah. email that just basically said, hey, let's not blow a gasket if somebody has a Halloween costume this year that's a little politically incorrect. Yes, if a white girl dresses up as Pocahontas, it's not the end of the world and these kids are screaming not even at her at her husband <laughs> this is not a safe space who raised these monsters <laughs> they're monsters such a yeah. sense of entitlement yeah and we've had some you know people work at our show young people in the, you know important jobs sometimes because you're working with scripts and stuff and they're very bright we're not going to hire someone who's not bright and they're even aware that they have this giant sense of entitlement, and they can't quite process it if you tell them <laughs> they did something wrong. They know they're going to have to learn, but it just doesn't quite compute that, wait, I I did wrong, but I get A's, and I my parents always fought with the teacher. That's that's the problem. The, our day, the, the parents were allied with the teacher. <laughs> that's right. That's and right. now if the kid gets a D, it's the teacher's
2: fault. Yeah. Yeah, and the teacher will get fired. If the teacher brings up even a subject in a discussion, like in a social studies class or a history class, you see teachers getting fired all the time now in various schools around the country because they bring up just a subject or they're using an example of something. And that alone could be enough because of the social media for it to travel like wildfire and the parents get upset and the the school board feels compelled to do something. And you have these incredible injustices taking place all over the place.
1: It's not a healthy place for society to be when everyone is afraid to say anything.
0: Conversation is the only corrective mechanism we have. If you can't influence other people's behavior through conversation, you either just have to suffer it in silence or if it gets bad enough, you have to use force or get the state to use force. I mean, it's just we don't have any other tools.
2: But don't you think we're at that point? I mean, do you really feel, do you guys feel that there's any way to reconcile these two sides at this point? It feels like that division is like, so is ingrained in the new America. You know, that's the new America. These, these various factions really in actual, complete opposition to one another. I don't see like America, like unified in any way going forward.
1: You know, Well, uh, oddly, they kind of come together on the, project of destroying free speech from the right Mm -hmm. you have trump calling fake news Mm -hmm. saying the press is the enemy of the people threatening maybe we should shut down msnbc or nbc or whoever you know maybe the failing new york times should be you know we'd be able to sue them if they say something they don't like i don't like about okay and then on the left we have the kind of censorship we were just talking about Right, right what's left in the middle nothing yeah
0: yeah, well, the, I mean, the middle is not as sexy politically. I mean, you can't get people to scream and give up their day to protest for the middle. But the middle is the only space where honest, sensible, rational conversations are happening. Right. We, we have to figure out how to promote the middle so that it becomes. It's being, being shouted and- down by both sides right
2: now. That's that's certainly evident. Um, the middle is not being listened to, and the middle is being too, I think, too civil in its approach while the two sides on either side of it are going crazy, you know, and metaphorically arming themselves for the battle to come. You I know? don't even
1: know where the middle is anymore, or right. the left or the right. I mean, America is to the left of Canada on immigration. As much as we put kids in cages, <laughs> our immigration laws hmm. aren't what Canada's are. Canada doesn't have what Trump would call chain migration. Um, it's mostly based on skills, who gets into Canada. It is different. And it is, we are to the left of them. We are to the left of, I think, a number of European countries now who have banned the burqa. Right. You know, Denmark, which I think of as a pretty liberal country. Yeah. (laughs) Denmark. (laughs) I I think the flag is like lesbian scissoring on it. Uh, You know, that that is not a conservative country. Italy, Belgium, France. You know, the, the prime minister of Denmark said something like, we need to see your face. We consider this a value in Denmark. I don't think this is a giant (laughs) ass. We're face people. (laughs) I mean, you're coming to the melting pot, melt a little. I always say, I I think it's great when uh, a Muslim becomes like the London mayor uh, uh, when they achieve high office, because then Muslims hear, they have to hear him say, he's against the wearing a, a, a burqa right. against face coverings. But when you're in a high office in a Western country, you have to espouse, and I'm sure he really believes it too, the things that are sometimes antithetical to what goes on in traditional Muslim societies. And it's important that Muslims all over the world hear, oh, there's the mayor of London yeah. and he's a Muslim and he believes in the Western values of free speech but that's and,
2: exactly it bill i think the western values well, i was in saudi arabia this year and i spoke to a comedian who wears a veil you know and i thought that was fascinating i met this woman she wears the veil and she's a social media comedian many many like millions of followers you know right. in the middle east and she was saying that it's a, on stage she doesn't go on stage she doesn't go on stage it's all social media stuff there's in, in Saudi okay. Arabia, women aren't allowed on the stand There's only two stand-up clubs in all of Saudi Arabia, as you mm-hmm. we can well imagine, and it's all male. So women aren't even allowed, but she does the social media thing. A number of women do the social media thing in Saudi Arabia. This one wears a veil, and she's very funny. And the thing is that she talked about...
0: Is she identified? I mean, do people know who she is, or is she kind of anonymous behind No, her she view? has.
2: She They know she is. She's uh-huh. not anonymous at all. But she her personality, part of her personality, and if you saw her, you could imagine her without the veil, because she has a very upfront comedy personality. She just wears the veil. And her thing is in Saudi Arabia, you're going to be abused. You are a second-class citizen if you're a woman. And this is a way to sort of neutralize that, that thing in Saudi Arabia, and you can understand that. Now, once you get to London, which is a more enlightened Western value society, you would think things would relax uh, to some degree over time there, and I would imagine it might if, if assimilation is allowed to take place in some reasonable way. Hmm. But in Saudi Arabia, it's almost like a protection. You know, it's almost done to sort of neutralize the, uh, the, the, uh, the sexism, the violent yeah. sexism yeah. that takes place there.
0: Yeah, which is itself not a good advertisement for... The norms of that religious culture. Yeah. I mean, like, there's. Well, a, there's why a, are
2: we getting so friendly with Saudi Arabia? I mean, they don't really stand for anything we supposedly stand for. Now we're best friends.
0: Trump said he was <laughs> in love with Kim, Kim Jong Un. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that what, was a, that was a bizarre. Why? I mean, yeah, it's a
1: just, because the president is a stark, staring lunatic, a raving, <laughs> lying, chock full of nuts. Yeah. It's yeah. If, if if any president who we know acted like that. Like just one day? Yeah, just yeah. once,
0: just one thing. Just yeah. one statement. At the, right. the, the end, the end of the presidency. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's would, always
3: interesting
2: to go, well, what would happen if Obama had done yeah. that? Well, well, yeah, Obama's so tan would, suit, mean, the, the tan hung. suit is the reference point. Right, we, yeah. Yeah. we spoke for a week <laughs> right. about his tan suit. Yes, tan suit.
0: It's a very strange place. This is something I once buttonholed you about, ambushing Mark Burnett to get the Apprentice tapes released. I know these tapes exist. I have multiple confirmations from people well, who've just talked to him directly. It's like what well,
1: Apropos wha- of why we're here because he's very religious. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that has something to do with it, why he's protecting Trump. But I saw him fairly recently and I think that did come up in conversation. And it's just not gonna happen, Sam.
0: But <laughs> but what what would be the effect do you think? I mean, my fantasy is taking over some restaurant in town here. Filling it with the top 100 people in Hollywood. Basically, it's a surprise party intervention for Mark Burnett. Someone brings him in and just locks the door behind him. And everyone from he's, whoever, Angelina Jolie on down, says, what you've done is completely irresponsible and selfish. And yet, like, because he's, he's clearly he's, under some kind of ethical he, illusion here where well, he thinks that no. releasing it would do something huge. But not releasing it was doing nothing.
1: I couldn't make heads or tails out of anything from my conversation with him. He's mm. a very forceful guy who speaks a lot of words, most of which I did not felt feel made any sense. Right. Well, um, it's understandable very, he's friends with the president. A very energetic <laughs> guy. But I, I don't I I couldn't even tell you where this is coming from. I couldn't, he's I mean, he and his wife, Roma Downey, mm. I mean, they're extremely religious. And that's, I think that always colors everything. Um, I think they like Trump. You know, some yeah. people just like Trump. Do you, you know, guys he, think he, that he if he those tapes came out at this no. point, considering all other the other things? I, I actually
0: thing. do. I, I think, again, I think it's... Dream on. It's, <laughs> I think it would be an order of magnitude worse than the Billy Bush thing. There's something about the word, I mean, as we just talked about, there's something about that word, especially uttered in earnest, If, as represented to me, if the contents of the tapes are what I think they are, you have someone, I mean, it'd be like the Mark Furman tapes. You, it, it's it's one, 20 years
2: ago, and that's Mark Furman. It's not Trump. Right, Trump's but, got a special, Trump's already said the most horrible, ill
0: but he has, shit. But he hasn't said that. He hasn't said that. No. But we
2: know that he has. We, I don't think anybody I, believes
0: I, that those tapes don't exist. I, I think I, think right. We know the tapes exist, but it, and he but said it. I think every microsecond of actually hearing the way he said it would matter in a way that the abstract knowledge that he must have said it behind closed doors doesn't matter. Enough.
1: I hope you're right. I I, I I don't think anyone who is with him still cares, and I don't think anyone who's against him you don't, you know would be I, I just, surprised. We're in our camps.
0: Just imagine the press conference that McConnell and Ryan and everyone else would have to have to respond to. So don't support him
2: saying
1: that word he said ten years ago and I'm sure he would never say it. They've had so much practice about it. Yeah, they blow it off. They know how they (laughs) know how to blow it off and and denounce it sort of and then move on and you know, they they've come to make it normal that he's the president and they go on as their Mm. normal gross Republican manner. Uh, (laughs) And that's the reality that we live in. I don't think it would make any difference. I don't think anything would make any difference at this point. Again, to bring it back to our subject today, they're in a cult. Yeah, It's just like a cult. He is a cult leader. That was part of my thing I was trying to say the other night on the show, is that he reminds them, I think, of evangelical con men that they grew up with on tv we showed the it was funny you know he has jim baker's hair and tammy faye's makeup (laughs) (laughs) he has uh what was it you know he had a fake university like uh pat robert (laughs) no like like uh falwell Uh, he uh swaggered has the you know and many of them has sex scandals that he gets over you know doesn't pay taxes uh, prosperity gospel. Yes, if he is he not the epitome of the prosperity gospel guys. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, so it's a trance. There's a, a trance
2: state that it has is kind of take yeah. for those people that are going to stick with him. And yes, sti- like the women who are marching for Kavanaugh. These people are in a kind right. of a alternate reality. It is, and hmm. there's nothing that's going to crack that. Something might crack it at some point, but you don't know what it's going to be. Uh, it might be something totally inadvertent. But as of right now, unless the Democrats get the
1: majority which they no. don't seem
2: really committed to doing what's necessary you're not going to have anything change after 2018 that is
1: a subject for you or andrew mm. newberg member in the movie sure mm-hmm. the guy who would you know him yeah, neurotheology working yeah. your side of the street yeah. right isn't he yeah, yeah. your that side is. of the brain yeah <laughs> yeah uh that's a study for brain people yeah. to know what goes on the god gene guy yeah remember that right, yeah, dean hammer you know yeah. right yeah. that that what Turns David the, Dennett also. David, yes. if you remember,
2: we spoke to him at Tufts University. Yep. He said people want to believe in belief.
0: Yeah, D-
1: Daniel Dennett.
2: Right. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I guess as a final topic, I noticed we're here. Uh, we're just across ninety minutes, but kind of going back to some of these—the issue of of what happens when you transgress as a comic or as anyone else as a public figure, and then do this in the current environment, this insane walk of shame, you know, out of, you know, Game of Thrones, or just apologize. And what we're finding now is that there seems to be, even for fairly trivial things, the physics of apology has changed. And it's like there are now minor crimes for which no apology is sufficient. Right. And so I'm, I'm, now I'm starting to wonder just ethically and politically, what's the event horizon of an apology? Like, where's the point past which your reputation can never be pulled back out of the black hole of the thing you did? So I'm like, take this random example, but, you know, Louis C.K., is there an apology that would be sufficient to fully reboot his career? So like without residue, well, like he could just start again and he's he's back in the fold. Okay,
1: but. When you use him as the example, I mean, it doesn't really track with what the first part, whether you're saying because at first I thought you were talking about when people say something that's fairly benign. No, no, he, I,
0: I went for, I went graver than I right. was indicating. But, into, but yeah, he didn't yeah, just yeah. say right, something right, fairly no, no. benign. He yeah.
1: not only exposed himself, but then according to some of these women, had his management retaliate and so
0: so a more minor version of this would be maybe Kathy Griffin is an example where it's like a joke or her attempt at some political statement that was more or less universally perceived to have crossed some kind of line or was in bad taste or was just ugly or just not funny. It went over like a lead balloon. And why is it so hard to successfully apologize? Which, I mean,
1: everyone makes mistakes. Because they don't want to hear an apology. Because we are living in an age now or a country Where, just saying, and that's a very much of an outlier, an example, a category, because that has to do with threatening the life of the president. Not that she ever really did, (laughs) of course, but it does get into that area. Which, as much as I hate Trump, I even thought you don't do that. You just don't do that. But take something like, a incident I cited a few weeks ago. Amber Heard, the actress, tweeted out, "Hey, there's a." ice, uh, traffic stop I noticed here on whatever avenue, uh, maybe tonight it'd be a good idea to make sure that your housekeeper or your landscaper has a ride home, which I thought was very helpful, Hmm. but of course was. Interpreted. Horrible, I, I, racist
0: monster. I miss this. So, so, just so the fact that she would have a landscaper or a housekeeper was like, this well, an no, ejaculation of fact, just assuming,
1: Sam, that landscapers and housekeepers... Are not Hasidic Jews? Would, <laughs> that was the joke <laughs> I made. I said, yeah, really? there's so many Jewish gardeners <laughs> yeah. in L.A. Yeah. Exactly. Right. See, even when you try to do good, you're right. bad. And so but what it, I'm like, saying is that there's no room anymore for just... Even if that was, say she did say something that was a little off the beaten path of what we accept nowadays, that shouldn't be it. There's no room for just going, hey, I'm sorry, I went a little too far. Exactly. Forgive me, and it's over. Right. I have felt that way since the
2: Michael Michael Richards incident. I have felt like when comedians make a joke that's that's, uh, met with that kind of response, like Kathy Griffin, you know, they're comedians. That's their job is to go too far occasionally and get pulled back. It used to be okay to do that and get pulled back. Now your career is on the line when that happens. That's the difference. It's like. But he wasn't sh- making a joke, was he? He was trying to. He was trying to. Oh, he was okay. desperate. He was bombing. Right. And he was desperate. And he went into a character, which Michael Richards does. And that character, he. He completely did a method thing with that character. Oh, okay. and, he, he went and Andy
0: went, Kaufman or, or on them? Or, he went know. a little, yeah. yeah.
2: And so I think that co- comedians have to be allowed to make some bad jokes. It's a different thing than Louis of C.K. Of course.
1: It's like, it's like saying to Tom Brady, Tom, throw the ball downfield every game right. 30 or 40 times, but never throw an interception right. ever right? because right. if mm-hmm. you do, you have to go away forever. You can't play football yeah, anymore. nobody can yeah. live like that.
2: The other part of it also, uh, to get back to the event horizon of the apology, mm-hmm. is that unfortunately, in my observation, so many people who really aren't sorry make these kind of heartfelt fake apologies that it's kind of reduced the apology to a certain level of sincerity that's very hard to really make a sincere apology anymore that right. has some impact on the culture, you know? So I think that's pro- a problem also. The, the apology has been an easy go-to for people that actually are perhaps hateful or perhaps are doing things like Ron DeSantis do you, or Trump, do you really want to hear them apologize for anything they say? You're not going to believe that apology, you know? So those apologies are kind of empty. You know, it has to be something more than just an apology now mm-hmm. to a large degree if it, if it rates that kind of offense to the,
0: uh, to the audience. But you know? I was actually thinking of it in the context of the Kavanaugh hearing. So first of all, it's just, it's obvious to me what happened there. I think people are overcomplicating reality way more than it needs to be and so it's like the idea that she's lying just to become famous and get a book deal as good as that's going to be for her uh it's completely insane right i mean like now there's things you could change about her her and her presentation and her bio that would give more credence to that interpretation but she's got none of those things like if she'd been trying to break into reality television for the last 10 years and she had Plumped up lips and she already had an agent. Okay, well then we would see her through that lens. And but this is someone who was just visibly wilting under of the course. glare of the first spotlight. Not she a media hit.
2: savvy person.
0: No. No. And and the idea that she has misidentified him is plausible in a world where people are thinking of people getting attacked by strangers and then having to pick them out of a lineup and misidentify them. But the idea that you are going to be attacked by someone you already know, where like, it's a social situation that then turns into a sexual right. assault, and then you're going to have misidentified that person, that virtually never I mean, happens. what about the right? other people in the room? I mean,
2: there's a uh, there's, you know, uh, the yes. guy who wrote the Wasted Memoir, whatever his yeah. name well, is. And the, the, the idea name. that yeah. If,
0: yeah. if you're lying, you're going to put another witness in the room right. who, may, who may not corroborate right. your lie, presumably, <laughs> right. and then urge the FBI to talk to that person, it doesn't make any sense. But I'm just wondering, if Kavanaugh owned it, right, is there an apology that could have been successful? Th- no. Th- for, for, that that's on- why,
1: honest in that context. No, because that's the world we live in. Completely tribal. Um, everything the blue team does, if you're on the blue team, is right and perfect. And uh, same thing if you're on the red team. And there's no there's no place for let's uh, let's just look at this rationally and throw politics aside and see where the chips fall. No, no, no. He had to say, I wasn't even there. I huh. like beer, and that's the end of the story. <laughs> I like beer. That's all you're going to get out of me. Because the minute you go down that road of, well, you know, in high school, I guess I did, I don't know, I may have been at that party, and if I did tussle with her, I really wasn't, Gonna try to rape her, but I, I can see why it traumatized her. Already, you're in the weeds, and you're dead, right. because they're just gonna. No one wants to give you the benefit of the doubt of what actually may happen, may have happened. They just want to get on the side of their team. I think
2: also uh, I, I agree with you, and I think that uh, someone like Brett Kavanaugh should have been the judici- The Democrats on the Judiciary Committee did not they didn't do their due diligence in stopping him before it ever got to this point. I mean, his right. his positions should have been questioned more, and he was kind of let go on that. And that goes back to what we were talking about. He's been bred to be a Supreme Court justice. He's, yes. the Federalists have these lists. Absolutely, The Democrats are, were caught with their pants down and then, no no pun intended, but then once the high school stuff came out, they were able to seize upon that, but they had really dropped the ball on the substantial issue, which is the fact that he is a Republican partisan hack. That's the key. He's a political mm-hmm. hack a That's has wh- got a mediocre mind to sit on the Supreme Court.
1: Right. Hmm. Yes. A Republican warrior for Star Report. <laughs> right. The Bush recount, the yeah. Bush White House. Yeah. This is not the kind of person we used to put up with the Supreme exactly. Court.
0: Not to mention that he was clearly lying about details. Such a lie. All hi- along hi- the way. In this hearing. I mean, oh, an
1: obvious lie and an obvious drunk, at least then. Yes. A, yeah. I mean, part of the calendar uh, notation says skis, yeah. which is for brew skis. Yes. So he's such a drunk, he's planning it on the calendar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I've gotten drunk right. before, but mm-hmm. I never wrote it on my calendar. Well, the lies about Thursday get shitfaced, you yeah. know.
2: <laughs> but the lies about the you know the Devil's Triangle being a drinking game and those right. kind of right. you know those are you're such. But I, you, go ahead, I'm sorry. But that's
1: why I mean, it, I, I think it's too far to, to when I hear lots of people on the left basically call him a rapist. And well, he, it's, he fun. it's fun. It's fun to call him a rapist. Okay, and he could have. He could have had. They could have had that. He's he's certainly a big enough asshole. But it also could have been. We're just shit-faced seventeen-year-olds, and we do stupid things with people. And like, we're gonna because when the when you hear about the other guy getting on the bed too, that sounds
0: it did not sound like a, a rape in progress,
1: right? Yeah. Right, Slop, <laughs> yeah. sloppy, drunks. It sounds yeah. like sloppy drunks trying to scare a girl or humiliate her. Nothing that should have happened to a person. But it, it's not enough to if you're really rational, if you are just trying to not be tribal to say he's definitely a rapist, you know. He's definitely an asshole and still yeah. is. And unfortunately, yeah. he's channeled his prickishness now into the law. I'd rather he was still a drunk.
0: Yeah, well, these are interesting times. We need uh, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. We need more comedy. So so don't don't retire, no, either no. Anytime soon. No,
1: don't you yeah. retire either, Sam, cuz you write more clearly on the original subject of religion and any of us very uh, appreciated and, as and well. we appreciate well, it i certainly do and i know you do I too. I do as well very much i mean anytime that subject comes up you know you are a mandatory reading absolutely
0: well it's a pleasure to um have an excuse to talk to you guys yeah
1: the, the, we'll make the, the fall of we'll civilization yeah. is a good enough
0: excuse that, okay. is absolutely anytime anytime
2: yeah. civilizations fall yeah we'll just we'll call hear. us yeah.
0: <laughs> so to fully close the loop on the reason why we're here it, religious is now 10 years old is there anything uh that you want to recommend people do to see it? Is it just this is a an iTunes oh, thing? Or is I'm not. We're,
1: uh, I'm no. This was not about. We're not reissuing it. There's no, <laughs> I right. no extra commentary on we're it. Just right? it cool. We're just saying it was cool. We're glad we did it. And well, yes, thank you for, I just think uh, at a certain point in your life, like this uh, anniversary show we have coming up on real time on October 19th, my my 25 year anniversary on TV and 15 on HBO. As you we are getting into this age. Period of our life where we have anniversaries yeah. and you know ten years yeah, seems ten, like it. Ten years goes by fast. Yes, so fast. You young people, boy. don't 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 don't, inc- don't include me in the that list. <laughs> don't, don't, I'm, it's I'm a little you alarming. You You're How fast not quite with us, yeah, Sam, yeah, but yeah. it does go really fast. And the older you get, the yeah. faster it goes. No, uh, I, I can yeah. attest that a a year is about
0: four months long now for me. Right. And just, <laughs> yes, I think that's true. Michael Palin yeah.
1: had the great line. He said. Every day when I go to shave, I look in the mirror and go, You again? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's a
0: pleasure to take the ride with both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll see you at the 20 year.